Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. Today is a much-needed podcast episode and a really hard one. It's painful to be with what's happening with abortion rights and the continuous news cycles and fear that's out in the world. But I wanted to have a conversation with Kia Gorino, who is the executive director of Pro-Choice Washington, where they are a grassroots organization focused on the advancements of reproductive freedom and social justice. And I wanted to bring Kia on so that we could talk about how to show up, how to use our emotions and our voices and our resources and our money in a powerful and purposeful way, in a way that keeps us staying centered. Because one of the things that happens with activism work is that it can easily pull us off of our centered, especially in this very loud and reactive and fearful world that we live in. And so today the intention is really to have a conversation about how to stay centered, how to stay connected to what really matters, and how to continually show up in a purposeful and powerful way. So I hope you settle in, get cozy, and let's get centered. Kia, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Thank you, Wade. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, I just like, as I'm welcoming you, it's just my heart feels so heavy and actually like kind of tears want to come to my eyes right now is I don't know I had this sense of like urgency to have you on the podcast so thank you for being here thank you for being available to enlighten us today and I'd love to just have you share a little bit about your background and what pro-choice Washington is all about yeah absolutely and I, I definitely get that sense of urgency and action so why I'm here today too. So my name is Kia Gorino, as you mentioned. Um, I'm the executive director at Pro-Choice Washington, which is the only grassroots advocacy organization in Washington state that's fully dedicated to policy and legislative change for reproductive rights um, and the broader range of reproductive health care. 
Uh, my background has really been in uh, a wide range of public health uh, and advocacy spaces. So I spent a lot of my early career um, in the field uh, across the Africa and Asia regions, uh, working with healthcare systems to implement health programs all across different parts of, of the various countries in which I worked. And um, that really taught me a lot about health systems, about policy and action, about you know, championship for these healthcare issues and, and what it really means to think about changing health equity in really complex system settings. And, you know, we're talking about abortion as an, a single healthcare issue, but it is such a big part of that broader health equity and, you know, socioeconomic well-being conversation. Um, and then I spent a few more years working in global advocacy for family planning and gender equality um, in the philanthropy space and really working with youth leaders all across the globe uh, trying to drive change in their communities, especially in places where there's significant barriers to both of those things. Um, and so I think in the US now, we have a lot to learn from brave young folks who have been championing really high risk issues in their communities for a very long time. And unfortunately, um, that's what it's gonna look like here for a little while. Yeah, and you know, I think that is, you know, just finding the news out mm -hmm. a few days ago, less than a week ago, I'm noticing it's continually sinking in, mm -hmm. in this sense of disbelief. Holy fuck, we are <laughs> in 2022 and women's rights on their bodies is being challenged. And for me, I grew up with a mother who was on the older, she was 44 when she had me and she always talked about feminism and using your voice and she was a lawyer and she was went to law school when there weren't many women and and just thinking of how much her generation paved the way for our generation and now that we're taking what it feels like 10 steps back and yet i grew up in as we grew up in this life realizing that we had independence in our bodies and then just to feel that right get stripped away it's a gut punch yeah i mean i think it is you know i I've known this was coming for years in my line of work and it still feels like that because the, the reality of having your government which purports to protect human rights tell you you're not worth protecting and that your life doesn't count when we're thinking about the calculation of lives in our states. It's, it's going to take a long time, I think, for us not only to really understand what this means in practice, but also to see the consequences, which, you know, it, the, the right to abortion care is directly linked to the employment rate, the college graduation rate, the crime rate, the maternal mortality rate, the infant mortality rate, homicide rates, all of those things are directly linked to someone's ability to have an abortion when they need one. And, you know, all of those things are things that we've worked for generations to to improve and to create the spaces and the, the guardrails around um, the harm that those causes. And this one decision that sort of clouded, um, clouded the discussion about the human side of it, I suppose is what I'd say. Um, it can really roll back such a, a broad set of rights that, that our, our parents have worked for. Yeah. Can you educate us this moment in time we're recording at the end of June, 2022, mm -hmm. can you 
share a little bit about like what is this kind of zoom out snapshot of where we are? Because I personally yeah. feel like living in a sanctuary state like Washington, and maybe you can even explore what that means for us, is a bubble. Mm -hmm. And and so I can stay in my bubble, but that bubble can also be threatened. And mm -hmm. we are all connected. So there are yeah. millions of women outside of my bubble who are being extremely affected by this. So can you give us a little bit more? Yeah. <clears throat> what just happened? Basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, like what nightmare yeah, did what I just, this? yeah. So Roe versus Wade, as you and your listeners probably know, was passed in the 1970s as a landmark case uh, really centered around privacy and the right to bodily autonomy through that lens. And then in the early 1990s, there was another case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which really solidified the pathway for a lot of other civil rights with these two concepts. And so even though abortion was the topic, the actual core of what was in that was really about the right to have a private decision about your body, which you know is inherently extremely American <laughs> in terms of our values, and also applies to so much more than just uh, abortion care. And even just the progressive agenda, it also applies to parental rights and, and the broad range of issues that everybody in America cares about. So when Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was always meant to be effectively the floor of protections. And so we just lost the floor. And it means that any state now <clears throat> is able to decide whether or not an individual can get an abortion at any time. And we are seeing more than half the states banning abortion, some as early as conception. And so what this means in practice is that say you live in Louisiana and you want to get an IUD, you could be denied because that's actually interfering with that conception point. Or if you want to get IVF for fertility treatments, you actually could be denied because you have fertilized embryos that would then be destroyed. And there is a significant number of pregnancies that naturally end in miscarriage, something like 30%, more depending on your demographic, your location, and your overall health. There is now a precedent in place where if somebody miscarries after conception, which is really, you know, any time, that there is a possibility that that individual could be investigated for a homicide in some places. So that's the extremes that these states are going. And that means a lot of violence against women. Um, homicide against pregnant people is still one of the leading causes of pregnant people's death because partners, wow. intimate partner violence is, is very heavily linked to someone's pregnancy. And so all of these really complicated pieces open the doors to broader criminalization for women, but say that, so. Basically, any state can do that now. There is no federal protections against that. So you're seeing states across the country uh, passing a range of policies that go from extreme to, say, 15 weeks, which still, again, you know, anytime you limit the ability for someone to safely end a pregnancy, you actually open the door to uh, really dangerous health outcomes because we, we know that a lot of fetal abnormalities aren't even tested for until 20 weeks. And so... Some states, what we're referring to as sanctuary states, um, about 20 right now, but there are plenty of states that are looking at overturning their protections already. Um, but Washington is one of them, Oregon, California, Colorado for now, um, and much of New England are considered sanctuary states. And they're states that have put in legal protections 
within our own either constitutions within our states or within our state law that protect abortion you know, at a later stage. So in Washington state, we have abortion here. We passed it in the early, first in 1970 and then uh, broadly in the, the early 1990s. And we've been working to really solidify that law since the 1990s to make sure that when we say access in Washington, we mean everybody. So there are still a lot of barriers, um, even in Washington with legal protections. The scary part is, so we are in our bubble. We have, you know, we have protections here, but what we have seen is that it really doesn't take much to overturn that law. And we have an election this November where 87% of seats are up for grabs. And we were a conservative majority uh, not that long ago, a couple of years ago in Washington state. And so we only are protected here as long as that's in place. And then the other piece, you know, we, we've heard a lot of folks really, really understandably frustrated with the system right now. But if we lose the majority at the national level, we already know that these groups are pushing for a national abortion ban and potentially a national contraceptive ban. So our bubble is really not that safe. And so I think it's important for us to think about this landscape, like you said, as a single one, right? We are all part of the same system. Access is regional. You know, we're gonna be, our health systems are gonna be receiving 400% more patients because of this. So we're all deeply interconnected as a society here, even though we have our protections for now. Okay. Thank you for all the information and anybody who's listening, just like I welcome us all to take a deep breath in and a big exhale out because I even notice as you're sharing this, like my nervous system is getting so activated and mm -hmm. there's a part of me that wants to fucking crumble. And there's a part of me that wants to, you know, mm -hmm. tighten my fists and get ready to fight. And in this exploration of where we are, what mm -hmm. I'm seeing is that, especially on social media, and this is not just with abortion, you know, this is with social justice, this is with yeah. um, racial justice, this is with all of the inequality that is present, but there's such a reactive energy to getting involved when these acute news mm -hmm. events happen. And what I see can happen is that it either creates this sense of like performance of needing to show up to perform or creates this reactive, like I should be doing something, but I don't mm -hmm. know what to say. And so people shut down and don't do anything. And then they feel like they should be doing something and they're not doing something visibly. So people then their fear of being judged mm -hmm. and then that creates more divide. And so there's just <laughs> this like tension yeah. about like, how do we actually show up in a sustainable and consistent and centered way so that we can all work together for cohesion because social media creates can create mm -hmm. even though it's great for sharing information can create such a divide and where we all get you know very reactive with each other so i'd love to hear just like your take and your experience of how do we harness this activism energy that is present in all of us in a way for good for the greater good of all of us yeah <clears throat> and that's a I big question that's, and that's a big that's, question so <laughs> Yeah, no, probably the best question of our time, honestly. I think, you know, the way I think about it, I was going to zoom out a little bit, is Roe v. Wade did not get overturned overnight. The reason that a lot of us in this movement knew this was coming was because we saw the writing on the wall at the local level for really decades, but especially um, since around 2016. But we, 
what we know Wonder about what that. happened in <laughs> what we know about it was that this was a 50-year movement to overturn roe v wade that started with the hyper local level and was just heads down well-funded you know very focused very cohesive to take away a core right and what we can sometimes forget on the progressive side is exactly what you're saying. Like there are all these really intense, reasonably intense emotional triggers that are happening when we lose these rights. And we can sometimes forget what it takes to just sort of sit, sit in this and to look ahead. And, you know, I think for our generation, one thing I always try to keep in mind is, you know, it wasn't until the mid 1970s that women could have their own credit card. That wasn't that long ago, really. No. Like, and what it took to get there was decades and decades and decades of work to put out there over and over again that this is actually the rights that we deserve, that we are moving forward in progress. And so I think part of the tactic uh, by folks who are trying to take away our rights and sort of consolidate power away from especially women, but anyone who's in a down power position is that they distract us with this. And they expect that we'll burn ourselves out with this fear because, again, it's a reasonable reaction to, to react in fear and to react verbally or to show up in this moment, but then to sort of burn yourself out and back down. So I think for you know, what we've been working on Wade for a long time is really about how you manage that energy flow so that it isn't up and down and up and down, because that is a really easy way to either you know, show up angry you know, be oversimplify the solutions, you know, uh, misidentify where your power is, or to just shut down altogether, which is the other reaction that happens over time. And so thinking about this as the long run and knowing that this is just one piece of the puzzle, right? And they are going to do their best to take away our rights, but they haven't, they haven't taken away our voices yet. And there is still time. And it is still our responsibility to continue to have those conversations, to show up, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, not necessarily um, as visibly as some social media posts are, although that there is value in saying, saying that you care about this issue. But I encourage folks to really think about what you're sharing. Think about what are the real solutions at play? I've seen a lot of things on social media that are demanding actions from democratic leadership that are actually not possible given our current structures. And that's not to say we, we shouldn't be holding our leaders accountable, but really thinking about before we so inadvertently so discontent or distrust within the system of the champions we do have, think about what is it that actually can be leveraged here from our political leaders and push hard on those. And I think really making sure that you're thinking about and, and learning and listening, even in a time of reaction, about those tools that we actually have in place. Because there are quite a few and so I think really like finding the ways to regulate your energy throughout all the other times so that when we get these shocks, which are gut punches, we can mourn, we can grieve, and then we can refocus because this is a long, this is a long run. And I think this particular movement is going to go well beyond our own generation. Mm. And we have to be like our, you know, our parents and believe that the next generation deserves our energy today. Yeah. I, I love emphasizing what you said of recognizing that this is a long run because I think we can so get triggered and and feel that burst of energy that wants to put us into action and re use it to react versus allowing it to kind of stabilize us to stay awake 
to stay mm-hmm. present so that we can continue to fight for the long run, continue to use our voice for the long run. And you said something about identifying our power. Mm-hmm. Like how can we identify our power? What would you recommend for us, the lens for us to mm-hmm. use to identify our power and where we can show up? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think I have a couple of answers. Um, but I think one of the main things is that we are the majority movement. Like it is, you know, all data shows that the majority of people in this country believe that abortion rights should be protected at the national level. And there's some nuance about when or how, but generally speaking, this is the majority movement. And I think it's easy to forget that that's true when media or the way that these conversations are played out pit it, you know, 50-50. It isn't a 50-50 conversation. The majority of people are with us, which means that we have to trust and be part of that majority movement that it will prevail over time. And that's a hard thing to feel, right? It's hard to trust this right now, but that is a really important part. The second part is that this is a movement that is based on love and well-being and community. And so all of the efforts that the the anti-abortion movement has made to, to paint it as violent or as fringe, it's false. And so avoid the temptation to fall into that narrative of violence, even though it's really scary and we are talking about the real possibility of death not allowing this movement to be co-opted as a violent space. You are not in the violent side of this movement, right? You are, you are fighting for the protection of life. And really knowing that that is a really powerful and long-term view that the world is moving towards is just a really good reminder of where we sit in this conversation. I'd say the other piece is vote. And I know people are tired of hearing vote. And I know that um, folks have felt like they've been voting and it hasn't played out in the way that we all hoped it would as far as protections. And voting is still a power that we possess. And the same groups that are working to take away abortion rights are working to take away voting rights. And we think about that as a history for women that has been hard one. And so just because it feels a little bit fruitless at the moment to use your vote, we cannot underestimate the fact that if we don't use it, it is going to be taken away by those who are using it. And I know that that can feel really overwhelming or frustrating, but voting is our only major tool right now to make sure that we protect abortion rights where it's protected now, and that eventually we can work to protect it at the federal level. And it won't happen overnight. Again, this is, you know, unfortunately voting is not instant gratification because there's a lot of systems at play that make it difficult to drive change. And Our job is also at the same time to hold the people we vote accountable, but I encourage you to do it in a way that makes sense within the system. Really giving folks the tools and the resources to drive that change for us is really important. So teaching them, you know, what it matters, why it matters to you in your community or your individual life, that's a really powerful way to drive change. Stories make all the difference. And then I would say, also figuring out um, what your, your specific gift is to this movement. So there are a lot of different ways that you can be an activist, right? And it, some of it is around conversation change. Like, do you have an influence within your communities, especially communities who are maybe uncomfortable with talking about this? How do you use your own platform? It doesn't necessarily have to be social, your own personal platform to have real conversations with individuals that takes away the stigma of this concept and really talks about what it means what it's going to mean for individuals and for this country 
if we really do lose all these rights forever. And then the other one is, if you have financial means and you don't feel like you have the energy to show up, donating to the structures that are in place is really powerful activism. And I, it, it's an interesting <clears throat> space to be in, in a nonprofit where you have to ask for individual donations to fund your work. But I also truly believe as an individual who has been in a place of having resources and not time, that there is some power behind putting your money into the, into the, the groups that have been working on this for a while and know what, what they're doing, especially abortion funds which are specifically designed to get people care. And then I think that's, yeah, that's, that's out there. <laughs> you just offered so many great resources and I wanna <laughs> circle kind of back to all of them. So first, the practice of us choosing trust and love, I think mm -hmm. is essential. And I know it kind of sounds woo woo, but it is essential because the other option is fear. Yep, exactly. And that creates yeah. more divide. And so trust and love and to remember that we do have a majority of people out there who believe in abortion rights, who believe in having choice in how you use your body. And, you know, and our bodies are just such a gift, right? So to think that somebody else can manipulate and choose for us is just bonkers in, in yeah. my perspective. <laughs> and so trust and love coming back to trust and love anytime that we notice we want to close off when we want to shut down how can we tr choose trust and love so i love that you said that <laughs> and you also mentioned donating and i'm curious we started to talk a little bit about this before we hit record but what are the best places to donate because we know there's planned parenthood we know there's pro-choice washington aclu where can we donate? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, what specific organizations are also out there that help people of color, women of color, other people who are maybe not as supported from these organizations as, as they could be? Yeah. I mean, I think it's such an interesting landscape um, and it really depends on the state your listener is in. But I think generally speaking, we know that this work is now state level. Right. So thinking about your local organizations as the place that you want to put your resources now, um, because that's really who's going to be responding. Um, you know, and depending on where your state is, as far as protections are, um, I think it will it will really matter. But for Washington, you know, we, we actually just really anywhere. But Washington, I'll highlight a couple of organizations, abortion funds. And I started to mention this before are really where I would encourage people to donate and to look into volunteering their time. And the reason that is, is because abortion funds have been around for generations and they have been working to overcome the barriers to abortion care for a very long time. And that typically means for people of color, for people of lower income, uh, folks who are facing a broader systemic set of barriers to getting healthcare in general, abortion funds have been set up specifically to overcome those barriers. So they do funding for transportation. They help set up appointments. They actually bring people to care. They're really these facilitating networks that I think I've heard a lot of people call for on social media. And I think just reminding people that they do exist and the resources are really where um, what they need support with as well as volunteers. So highly encourage you to do that. In Washington, the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is our partner there and they do fantastic work. And then nationally, there's a group, um, Indigenous Women Rising, and they have an abortion fund specifically supporting Indigenous folks to get care. And so looking at 
your local community for your local fund is really important. And then there's the clinic system, right? There's the, the providers and the actual clinics who are giving care. And you hear that a lot through Planned Parenthood. Obviously, they are a major clinic system. There are also local independent clinics in each state. And in Washington, we work really closely with um, Cedar River Clinics, which is another independent clinic. But you can typically find um, which providers are in your state by looking at the National Abortion Federation website, which I can share, and finding which of your uh, providers are, are providing care. One thing I wanna caution is that there are a large number of uh, crisis pregnancy centers is what they're called out there, or fake clinics. And they're designed to provide misinformation and misdiagnoses to patients who are seeking abortion care. And so be very careful when you're looking at um, clinics and clinic information and make sure you're really verifying that it is an actual abortion clinic. And you can usually check that on um, government websites, but just being really careful about that since they aren't subject to HIPAA laws, they can share information pretty widely. Um, so just really cautioning folks to be aware of who you're speaking to when it comes to clinic care. Um, and then the last group that I encourage you is as where Pro-Choice Washington uh, falls into, which is the grassroots advocacy group, because it is a lot of work to hold, um, to build this movement. And having groups on the ground all across the country has been a really important part in a lot of the places that actually stayed sanctuary states. Those groups have played a really important role in the long run of making sure that policies have been passed to, to make those protections. And another group that works in the space locally is Surge Reproductive Justice. And they are specifically designed around organizing communities of color and led by black women. And they drive really important change, specifically focusing on the barriers that are unique to those communities. And so highly encourage people to check them out as well. And we will link all of those resources, or I will link all of those resources <laughs> in the show notes. Those can be easily accessible and shared because that's so great. I didn't even know abortion funds existed. And yeah to know that's where our money could be the most powerful, I think is really essential. And then also to shift our energy, to know that like, we don't need, need to just stare at Instagram and social <laughs> media and getting trapped into the loops, but it's like, okay, let's take that energy and let's direct that towards how we can have empowering conversations, how we can use money if we, are, if we have the ability to donate in a purposeful way and where we can have the most impact in using our vote and voice right now. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as you said, using your vote, you know, I'll be completely transparent. <laughs> My mom was very political. And so that turned me off growing up, yeah. growing up <laughs> where I was like, you're annoying. I don't want to read the news. <laughs> and I've learned over the last 10 plus years that that's just not a choice. If I want to be a citizen in this world, I have to be awake and paying attention and be participating. And that doesn't mean, again, you have to be the loudest person in the room about it. It doesn't mean you have to be pushing people in your agenda and be super aggressive. It just means that you get to talk about it. You get to be reading about it. And of course, be taking care of yourself, you know, mm -hmm. titrating the information in so that it's not completely overwhelming your system. Because when we experience overwhelm, that completely shuts us down. And as you said, Kia, like that is what they're designing this movement to do, right? To 
overwhelm us to create the sense of burnout and fear right away so that we'll kind of have this energy burst and die out. And we can't afford to do that. And it reminds me of Dr. Kristen Neff, who did a lot of research around self-compassion. And I think self-compassion can sometimes be talked about in this way of like, oh, I'm giving myself a hall pass. Like I need to be really self-compassionate. I'm going to stay in bed all day and not do anything. And sometimes that is, you know, what your system needs and, and that sense of gentle, kind energy. But she also talks about this fierce self-compassion, which she calls mama bear energy. And it's like where Ooh. we actually get to protect ourselves by using our voice, by setting boundaries, by saying no, by being motivated to take brave, courageous action. And so that is also a huge form of self-compassion. So where can mm. we be practicing that as well in this movement so that we can stay kind to ourselves, stay kind to each other, as you said, right? Choosing love, choosing trust so that we can make this movement sustainable. Yeah. I think if there was ever a moment for mama bear style self-compassion, it's right now. I think that's the perfect description. I think, you know, there is an element of grief that requires potentially the day in bed, of course, but yes. I think if we're thinking about what this means for not just ourselves, but for our peers and for our future generations, like we are in a place where we have a responsibility to be the mama bears for, for the next generations to come. And I think we have, we have a lot to do together in that space and we're not alone. Yeah. And it, right. Remembering you're not alone. Remembering that if you're going through a hard time, if you are pregnant right now and have really mixed emotions about what it is to bring a baby into this world right now, or if you are wanting to get pregnant or never have children, like wherever you are on the spectrum, right? It's just to take care of yourself and to know that you're not alone and to reach out for support mm -hmm. is so essential. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. This is, you know, it's been a journey for a long time, not just around abortion rights, but the journey for women and people who can get pregnant to be able to speak openly about the experience without shame and stigma, just not just abortion, but the whole journey of pregnancy yes. and fertility and miscarriage and all of these pieces that have really put, put women and people who are, are pregnant in this space of apology a lot. Yeah. So really stepping into that power, this is our, you know, our moment to do that and think about this as a collective reproductive experience uh, issue. And then it's a really powerful and really um, fundamentally feminine movement, but also obviously impacts every single person, regardless of their gender. Yeah, I love that, right? We have to normalize all pieces of it. And, you know, I think growing up, the vision of getting pregnant was like, I think that movie, Nine Months with um, Hugh Grant. Is that that movie? <laughs> Where it's like, you know, she looks perfect and and like not sweating Lally at all and, and just yeah. like it's like breathe like hoo, hoo, you know three times and the baby comes out like that's like what i thought giving birth actually meant you know for so many years until my friends and and siblings and cousins and you know people in my life started to give birth and actually talked about it and we're yeah. very transparent about having to wear diapers afterwards yeah. and the healing that has to happen and the unpleasant totally. things that are going on inside of your female body. And, you know, and so I think normalizing the whole process of it is huge because it's, it's it, like women are warriors. The fact that we 
give life if we choose to give life, you know, right. and that we can grow life inside of us. And so just how we right. even decide to use those superpowers is essential. But I think you just articulated the reason behind a lot of people are saying, why, why would people do this? Why would people take this away? And I think you just articulated it perfectly because uh, in full power, it's a very powerful group of individuals who are gaining individual voice and influence. And a lot of the efforts that are all interconnected around taking away voting rights, around taking away trans care, around taking away a wide range of abilities to be full people for folks of color and also for, for women and other um, LGBTQI folks, it's so clearly a reaction to that exact thing. So, you know, it is, it is extra powerful to lean fully into your own power <laughs> because it's counter to exactly what they're, they're taking, they're trying to take away from us. Yeah. And that's like that power, that mama bear energy that we mm -hmm. all get to harness right now. Oh, Kia, thank you for <laughs> being here, for educating us, for educating me, for offering ways where we can direct our attention and time and resources is so helpful. And just to also know that we're not alone in this journey mm. and that it is a journey gives me some tender care and energy <laughs> to keep going. So thank you. Good. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Where can people learn more about you, Pro-Choice Washington? And of course, we'll have all of those funds and organizations linked. Yeah, um, welcome folks to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, there very easily. I think I'm the only one with my full name out there. <laughs> and uh, for Pro-Choice Washington, um, it's just prochoicewashington.org. Really uh, welcome folks to dig into the resources that we have. We've got a lot of those tools that I, I spelled out available and um, we always encourage people to join the movement. Thank you so much, Kia. Thanks, Wade. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. I welcome you to take a moment as you let these words and this information just settle and check in with your own mind, body, and heart and Ask yourself what you need in this moment. Is this a great opportunity to harness some mama bear energy and donate to your local organization of choice? And what would be really meaningful and important is to share this podcast episode with at least one friend so that they too can take care of themselves and also help take care of the world. Until next time, stay centered.